Hello and welcome back to Not A Perfect Parent, the podcast where we share the extraordinary wisdom of ordinary parents. Today I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Amy. Amy's a mum of four and an entrepreneur and she talks us through ditching her career, the children's private schooling and everything her family thought success was to follow her heart and her intuition. Amy now lives her best life in Cornwall with her family and helps other women to live theirs by helping them delve into their subconscious minds, heal the parts that hold them back and reprogram for the success they desire and deserve. Please be aware that part of Amy's story is the story of her daughter Chloe, who passed away when she was five days old. If you feel that this is something triggering for you, please look after yourself and you might choose not to listen to this episode. Hi, Amy. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to Not A Perfect Parent. Thank you for inviting me. Can we start with a little bit about your parenting journey so far? My parenting journey? Well, I'm a mum of four and my children are now 13, 11 and 10. And I have twin daughters and my youngest. And one of them passed away at the age of five days old with a heart condition. So I have quite a broad spectrum uh, of knowledge and support and stuff that I've kind of gone through because they are that little bit on in their journey now. What were your expectations when you became a (laughs) mum? My expectations of when I became a mum? Oh, gosh. That it was going to be the most amazing journey experience of my life. I have to be honest, before I had children, I wasn't too sure whether I wanted to be a mum or not. I wasn't somebody who was naturally like, oh, I'm going to be a mum. This is what I want. This is my destiny. Like some women seem to know. I was like, oh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I didn't have my children until I well, my oldest until I was 31. So I kind of held off and done the things that I wanted to do beforehand. I hadn't met my partner, so I was just like, well, if it doesn't happen, I'm not too worried about it. I can understand that, Paul, but that just wasn't there for me. So it was always open. And then when it when I did fall pregnant, I was just like, oh, my God. I was a bit scared. <laughs> I was a bit scared, and all those beliefs come up. Can I do it? Am I going to be able to handle it? Is it really what I want? But at the same time, excited as well because I was just like oh what is the next thing going to be and buying the clothes kind of looking at all those cute little items was it was a nice thing and going through the journey of pregnancy feeling your baby yeah my expectation was that I guess that it was just going to be a good journey to be going on and I was going to learn a lot about myself and I was excited for it and when you were a new mum with your first child yeah it was just the the most amazing thing ever in the world one I think I was a bit in disbelief I think the whole process of having this thing that you've got to look after is just like oh my gosh it feels like such a massive responsibility and it is because you've got to look after this 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 child you don't really know what is required of you because you've never done it before 
you don't really know if you've got the skills necessary to do it, but you have this love, this love that just comes from within. I just remember looking at her and making this pledge that I would always do my best, whatever that looked like. And when I gave birth, we had snow and going in, we had this deep freeze. And then I remember the night that she was born, like looking out the window and there was just all this like magical snow coming and just holding her and looking her in her eyes and just saying, I will always do my best for you. You were just absolutely amazing. It was just this whole big bundle of emotions all tied up into one. And I don't think even now, I don't even think I found the words to really explain that. But I know every person who has a child, whichever way they come into your life, will get it. So, yeah. I think that's amazing, isn't it? That kind of connection through it all. Yeah. When have you, like all of us, felt like not a perfect parent? Oh, every day at some point. <laughs> every day at some point I think we all have these expectations these beliefs these programmings that are handed down to us either through our own parents through the generations our grandparents that have come beforehand of how motherhood should look how parenting should look and how we want it to look for ourselves we all have that whether we're consciously aware of it. So how we respond to events is due to our subconscious programming 90% of the time. And I guess my real first experience of it was when my daughter wouldn't sleep. Now I should have known (laughs) that hindsight is a great thing, that she wasn't going to be a nighttime sleeper because when I was carrying her, she was active at the night all of the time. That was when I would feed her most. That's when she would be moving. So consequently, she was awake at the nighttime. And I was fine with that. And I was doing it all until I started listening to my friends who had these children that would sleep, who kind of got sleeping the way we wanted to fit in. And I was like, why is mine not doing this? And that's when it started to come in. And I started listening to the noise in my own head because I was tired. Because I was exhausted and because I was new and I started listening to the noises and I started looking outside of myself. Before then, I did what I felt was intuitively right, because I believe that each of us, we all know what our children want. We know that we have this this wisdom within us and we need to be quiet to hear that wisdom. But my noise wasn't quiet at that time. So I started looking outside of me. And at the time when my children were younger, Super Nanny was around, who was the kind of punish that your children cry out. And so was Gina Ford. And a friend of mine handed me the book and said, read this, it may help. Why the hell I read Gina Ford, why I listened to what she had to do and try to implement it, I have no idea. I look back now and I'm like, but she is so out of alignment with your values, your systems, your strategies. Why did you try to implement that? What strategy was it? She is basically, you feed your child at seven o'clock in the morning, whether they've had a good night's sleep, you try to get them to have a nap at this time and you run everything in cycles. 
not your child's cycles, just a timetable. And looking back now, she was all into the allow your baby to cry kind of thing, which again, I was against that. And I was just like, no, and I couldn't do it. But because I was trying to implement her system, I was like, well, I need to do it. The book says it because I was in that kind of state of like tiredness. And that was my real first thing of feeling like a failure, like the first time I tried to implement it. And my daughter was just like screaming the house down. We all ended up in tears. I was then like, oh, my God, I've damaged her for life because <laughs> I put her through all this trauma and what have you. And I just felt really, really rubbish about myself and really poo and it was just all down to not quieting the noise listening to other people and not having good enough self-care for myself at the time and saying someone just look after this baby so I can have some sleep what do you think it was that stopped you from being able to give yourself that self-care after my daughter was born I had a really bad infection afterwards I was giving myself the self-care, but it wasn't enough self-care. I couldn't get the balance right. And I I was also breastfeeding. So it was just a combination of I needed to give myself more self-care than was physically possible at the time. And then instead of like my body bouncing back from it, it it kind of went into about a 12-week period of my body becoming really more and more run down by this infection that was going on and and obviously me recovering from childbirth and just all of the things that had come from it and and finding new life really isn't it when you step into that role of being a mum for the first time and you have to find your own cycles and rhythms and patterns it is life-changing and you don't realize how soon it is so I was still in that kind of process of doing all of that so it kind of was there but it wasn't there as much as it needed to be. I wonder if you can speak to this a bit because my children are adopted so I've never given birth and I've never been pregnant so I haven't really known from a first-hand point of view much about the process but it's kind of an everyday miracle isn't it? Do you think there's support there or do you think we acknowledge how much women do to bring their babies into the world? Do we support women enough? I don't think we support women enough anymore. I really look back to like my mum's generation when they would stay in hospital for 10 days after the baby is born. And I'm not saying that is the right way, but I look back and go, wow, you didn't have to worry about being fed. You didn't have to worry about the housework or anything there were people there to guide you through anything that you was worried or concerned about there were people there that if you needed that extra sleep they would rock your babies for you that's what midwife used to have the time to do I mean our system is so different we don't live in that collectiveness like we used to, like having sisters around, having aunties around, having our mothers there, having our grandparents. We are very much left to ourselves. And there's just you and your partner and your partner nine times out of 10 is only there for two weeks and then he's out. And you've got to deal with all that transition. You've got to deal with the hormones that are going on. I think there's a point around seven days afterwards where your milk and all of that comes in and you become really hormonal and you become really teary. And I remember that happening and I just cried for the whole day 
just like uncontrollable crying and it just came and it just came and it just came and that all fits in with that and and to go through that by yourself and alone and sometimes not all of us know that that's going to happen we're not all that informed even though we have the internet and we have midwives if people aren't coming in to you each and every day to see that and go don't worry this is totally natural this is what's happening to you you can be sitting there and conjure up all these things in your own head of what's going on and then you can start to slip down that rabbit hole what you're associating and accounting and recording as being not very great is actually just a natural process that's happening within your body and to a certain extent that is completely out of your control I think the support that we used to have just isn't there anymore and it's the way we live and it doesn't support us as much as I think we need it's interesting isn't it as well what you said about we have so much information available but really it's not the same as someone sitting with you and saying this is my experience the more you speak the more people say yeah here's my experience of that but until then there's a sort of silence even though the information is available And things like that, in seven days in, you're going to potentially feel all of these very difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. You might read that on the NHS website, but it's not the same as somebody saying, I cried all day, and Mm -hmm. you just having that validation. Um, So there's something really in that about connection. Did you at the time feel able to reach out for support to be honest about your experience? I think sometimes when you're in the midst of it, and this is the irony of it, is that when you are in the midst of it, you know all the things that you should be doing, but you can't necessarily do it. And I think we can all relate to times of of when we've been in a situation where we've needed help, but we just haven't been able to to ask for it for whatever's going on. And And I think that is so true in motherhood. I think there's a lot of things that we know what we should be doing, but we don't do it either through shame or or we just caught up so much in the day to day managing of it. Because I think in those early stages, you're not thriving. You are just dealing with things as they come up. You're almost in a bit of survival mode. And when we're in survival mode, we can't reach out and ask for help. And I think there's one we don't sometimes don't even know that we need it because we're just like, it's just like, oh, the baby's crying. It needs this. Oh, my God, we went, we were going to go out and do the shopping and it's on a poo again. And oh, no, now it needs food again. It needs this and it needs that. And oh, now I've got no clean clothes. I've got a stick of the washing in and you still haven't got out to get your food. And it's now two o'clock in the afternoon. So I think sometimes it's it's you know what you need to do, but you just don't have the space to sit quietly think things through in that sense and when you do you're just too tired and you just go to sleep with it so your brain isn't even firing on the cylinders that it was before (laughs) having somebody there to observe if they're there observing it they can then offer with a gentle hand can I do this for you I'll go do your shopping maybe it is you're at this seven day mark and this is why you're feeling put your feet up but if we don't have that observer it's a big cut down a big break off And it's not that parents and grandparents and our external support don't want to be there for it. It's just that their lives are busy now. The whole, I just think the whole of the way life and our family system is structured isn't there for the family anymore. 
And how does that change when you're you're in that situation with a new baby, but you've also got other children as well? <laughs> I think how it changes is you've been through a lot of it before. And with anything, when you've been through something once, the second time through it, you become more confident about it. Hopefully, if you've managed to find your way out of the other side in a positive way, you come through it and you're like, okay, these are the things I need to have. You know more about yourself. So you can look at and go, okay, I need to have meals done before labor so you can get them all frozen up. I need to make sure I'm checking in with my mum. I need to make sure that I'm aware of around the seven days mark that this may happen. And that may be a simple thing, like putting something in your phone. You might be really hormonal and crying right now. It could be this and get that reminder to flag up or, or tell your mum or someone around day seven, please check in with me because this happened last time. And it's just becoming really consciously aware, becoming really awakened of yourself and getting to know yourself. Because I truly do believe that you know, we have everything that we need, but we just have to bring it all back to us and, and look within and listen and make space so that we can hear our own voice quiet and the noise down the external noise and the internal noise so that we can really intuitively listen to ourselves because motherhood is a journey it's an awakening it's a reflection of our own trauma and our own internal state and it's going to show us what we need to heal what we need to process to really shine brightly so that we can allow our children to shine brightly too. So it is always come back to you. Always come back to you. Yeah, that's yeah. A, a mantra that I've put in for myself, actually. Good for you. <laughs> I want to speak to your experience with your twins because we've just been talking about how difficult all-consuming what a journey it is to have a new baby but to mm. go through that loss mm. and then to still need to show up that takes immense strength and courage you have no choice well you do have a choice because I could have given him I could have given in and I could have let it consume me but I made a pledge when I became a mum that I would be the best mum that I could and show up in the best way that I possibly could. And these, there's only three and a half years between my eldest and my youngest. Wow. So my eldest was three years and four months when my twins were born. So that's where we was at. My middle child, my son, he was 18 months old. So I had a very bouncy 18 month old. I had a newborn and I had a three and a half year old they needed me they needed me and I had to keep showing up for them grief is immensely tiring I have never ever been so tired in my whole life as I has ever been for three years solid after Chloe passed away more so than any of my other pregnancies and newborn experiences and that is that was exhausting to me in itself 
but you have to keep showing up for your other children. There is just no two ways about it. And in some ways, they pulled me through it in that sense. Them coming in and waking me up every day. Can we do this? Can we do that? And that internalness of me wanting to show up the best that I can for them. I was just like, however I'm going to do it, however I'm going to get through it, I have to show up for them. And some days it was just like, I've got to get myself out of the house because staying in the house is so insane (laughs) for me. I wasn't managing very well there. But at the same time, going out was really painful as well because you're then faced with a lot of stuff that you have to deal with, like people's own perceptions of how to deal with a mum who's just lost a child. Because I was in the circle of, pregnancy and mums and what have you everybody knew that I was having twins and people would just come up and give me a hug and say I'm so sorry but nobody asked me about Chloe and about her and about the journey or even what her name was and you'd just be sitting there holding it all in while you're at these clubs and people would just say sometimes the most insensitive things through trying to be sensitive Um, and it's just it's again it's just I remember one day um, when I had the girls I got a big silver cross pram to put them in because that was my vision and I kept that and I took Maisie out and the other two were at nursery because I kept them in because I was just like I want one morning with her to bond and had that time like the other two did and I was walking down the street pushing it and I was absolutely sobbing because when you've got other children there's so much going on you don't always hear what's going on even though the noise of my grief and my pain was so loud but I really that day I was just sobbing and I was walking down the road pushing her and I was just completely unaware of what was going on because I was just like I've got to get home I've got to get home I've got to get home everyone's looking at me I've got to get home I'd be And there was two women, one after the other. They both stepped off and slightly into the road to let me by. I hadn't really acknowledged them. And they're both like, thank you, as if to say to me, say thank you. And I remember I was just like, I'm either going to scream at you, still sobbing, because I was just like, I didn't even notice you. And you're just being really mean to me. And you haven't noticed that I'm really crying and what have you. And in that moment, I realised that people are so unaware of their own surroundings to see that I was sobbing and to see a mum absolutely in tears I wasn't angry I was just like that silent kind of sobbing and you know if you see a person in that state that there's something going on for them usually but they hadn't even noticed they hadn't looked up from their own world and in that moment, as I was raging in my head at them, because you do, and I was like, oh, why haven't they noticed? And I'm just hurting and I'm this mum. I was kind of like processing all. I realised, I was just like, actually, they may be going through something really crap in their life too. So then it kind of brought me out of my my own little world for a moment then of, of kind of feeling all this pain, thinking, oh, my God, there's just a whole lot of world of hurt going on here. Everybody in their own way at some point, in their life and probably at some point during the day there's something that's being triggered of of a pain point for them and I was just like everybody's just living off these little bits of pain and the more that we can come back to ourselves and the more that we can heal those bits be it 
shame of when you was a child and you got told off or the time when you thought your mum should be there at the school play and she wasn't and you made that mean that she didn't love you or whatever it was whatever it is that's hurt you we, we need to be healing those bits so that we can then go out and like be able to stretch out that hand to other people so in that moment there was just that real great lesson of if I can always come from that place of love and see like I because I did in that moment I flipped it I was like actually they may be in pain even though I'm in pain there they could be in pain too and if we can meet in that place and just go actually come from empathy what is going on for that person that's made them respond in that way then we can meet with love and grace respect and understanding to help each other and lift each other up that's going to just make the world and the ripple effect be so much bigger and so much better and brighter for our children and the future generations and that's all we ever want for parents isn't it for the world to be a better place for them to thrive and I think we talked about this a little bit before we started instead of attacking you although as you say Mm. that would have come from somewhere within them Mm. if they had acknowledged you it would have felt very different they perhaps may not have been able to do anything to take away your pain but there's something in that connection and solidarity often people don't know what to say what was helpful to you what made you feel the opposite of that it was just people saying oh my god it's a real shit time that you're going through right now And this is the most awful thing that could possibly ever happen because you're absolutely right. No one can really do anything. The other thing that was really, really useful and really helpful is that when you're in that state, and again, it comes back to a point I made earlier of not being able to ask for help. Lots of people are like, oh, if if you need anything, just let me know. I can 100% hand on heart tell you that I call it like grief kind of brain fog and it's to another level I could not process stuff so for me to then have to take on the responsibility to ask you for the help that I needed was way too much and beyond I what would be really helpful is for for you if you're in the position to offer help because also you don't have to be and that's totally fine as well but if you are say these are the things that I can do I can order you a food shop and make sure that you've got food in the house. I can maybe, if you feel okay, take your children out for the afternoon. Because if if a mum has other children, they may not feel safe with you taking the children out, but you can offer it. It may be that you go, is there any phone calls that I can make for you? School ones, like I'd had a C-section, I couldn't drive for four weeks. So even just getting to the shops, it was just like, oh, I've forgotten this. How am I going to get that? Because my partner was at work because he was self-employed. Like literally it was Chloe's funeral on the the Monday and he was back in on the Tuesday because that was where, where we was at. So it's even just things like getting together as a group of friends and going, OK, let's make a system up. So you're available at this time and you're available so that you can ring and go, are you okay just to go and pop to the shots for me? I've forgotten this. But so they know who to ring. Yeah. Just think about the ways that you may be able to help. Is it that you say, well, I'll come around and just put some washing in for you. 
because I had luckily enough I had my mum my auntie and my cousin they came around once a week for the whole first year afterwards on a Wednesday and they did that for me came in cleaned my house made sure all my washing was on top of folded it all up made sure that it was dry and helped get food shopping done and stuff like that for me and just to know that that support is there and that there's someone looking out for you really really does help to help things flow so I would just say just just tell people how you can support somebody rather than putting the onuses on them because it's a really nice gesture but they're not going to be in the brain space to tell you yeah and those kind of loving actions really if you don't know what to say it's okay to say I don't know what to say but this is what I can do yeah and in all honesty, the mother or, or even the father uh, will respect you so much more for saying, I don't know what to say, because there is nothing that you can say. But just by acknowledging that, I don't know what to say, but I want you to know that I love you and I really feel what you're going through right now. And here's what I can do. That will just mean so much, so much. And also ask them about their child. And if they're, if it was a stillborn, maybe ask them about their pregnancy or maybe ask them about their hopes and dreams. There's going to be tears, but you haven't made them cry. It's the fact their baby's died has made them cry. And just make sure you've got tissues handy. You And, and remember just to listen. Just listen. Don't say anything. Give the space because that's what's needed. I think it's just so important to have this conversation, isn't it? Mm. Because if people feel so stuck in not knowing what to say that they don't Mm. say anything and actually keep their distance and the parent is there wanting to talk about their child and the time that Mm. they had with their child, it, it it can create a real chasm. So thank you for sharing. I think people really need to know what can I physically do? And I know that you've used your experience to work with other parents who have gone through their own loss. How has it been to use your experience to connect with parents? You don't feel that you're ever going to get through it. There is a point where you actually, and I remember it vividly myself, and I know there is definitely a point because of the work I've done where you look at yourself as a mum, as a dad, and you're like, I don't even know who I am. Physically, you change. And we know this happens through grief and loss. Physically, you change. You do go through almost like a a bitterness, a real, real hurt bitterness where you're just like, you don't feel like the world is understanding you. And some of it is culturally because people are just pushing away from you. They don't mention your child, which is the one thing that you want to speak to. And lots of your friends aren't going to understand it. And they'll, people will continue to talk about their mundane and they're not mundane to them. But at the time, it feels really like I haven't had any sleep because my baby's been keeping me up at night. I haven't. They're now teething. They're doing this. Oh, my God, they're they're doing this. And I'm worried about this. All the kind of mum worries that we have, which I get because I've had children <laughs> beforehand. But when Chloe died, I was just like please just stop worrying you don't know how blessed you are to have what you've got it's hard yeah and 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 you get this real bitterness whereas before I would I would have stepped with empathy I was in a real place of just shut up I don't care you you are so blessed yeah it's hard but it's just just the way it is 
And I didn't like that version of me. I didn't like that version of me who was so cynical on the world, who was so, <laughs> who my inner voice was so mean about other people and their struggles because I was just struggling so bad myself that that's how it was all all coming up. And to say to somebody, it's perfectly normal where you're at. These are just your thoughts. They are not you. This is a process, again, of picking apart, of awakening, of healing the parts that need to be healed, of pulling apart your own beliefs about grief and loss. You will work your way through it. Time doesn't heal, but time gives you the time to heal and to process. So while you can't put a physical time set, there definitely does seem to be certain benchmarks that that you kind of go through. And a three-year mark seems to be a period when parents start to, things seem to start to shift for them around that period in time. It's almost like they've gone through enough of what they need to do to kind of put themselves in that place of coming back back together I kind of see it as it's like when your child dies everything flies out the top your world's turned upside down your belief system is turned upside down because how can this beautiful perfect being that that you see die when there's other people who get to live who aren't as perfect and precious as, as this gorgeousness that's in front of you why is it happening to you? All of this stuff, it just blows it all on its head. You find that the things that you thought was important in the world, the things that you valued before, don't mean a thing to you anymore. Mm. So it really is a, a, a re-coming home to yourself. And like I said, there's that point where where most of us didn't like ourselves and just hearing that that's part of the journey and you'll come through it everything you're feeling it's awful but there is kind of light at the end of the tunnel I guess and I can find that evidence for you and also I wasn't scared to sit with them and listen to it I just go yeah that's really crap okay it's really crap I know that it's a shared experience but I think it's also a testament to to you and your courage and your willingness to go through that and your willingness to sit with somebody else in that as well and it must change the landscape for you as a family we speak about her all the time she is very much still a part of our life even though she's not here in her human I have found my own ways to still be mum to Chloe. <laughs> I still sing her songs. I still read her stories. I, I did pumpkin carving just with her the other day, and I've got a beautiful pumpkin of her. I have found my own ways of Chloe being a part of my life. I help guide the children in how they want it to show up for them they're still very young they're they're still finding out what the world means to them I try not to push my beliefs and what I make of it onto them I'm like this is what I believe this is how I'm working through it you do what's right for you and that's how we've worked. There are times when they're very much wanting to do things for her. And there's times when they're like, mm, not not at the moment, thank you. And and we we go with that. 
like I said, we speak about her all the time. We was at bowling yesterday, actually, and <laughs> all of the names come up, don't they? And we notice on on the board next to us that there was a girl called Chloe. So just as Maisie's name came up, which is her twin, Chloe's name came up, and my eldest like, look, mum, <laughs> and it's just like, and and that's how she shows up in our lives and sometimes they'll share with their friends about Chloe and other times they won't we we've done lots of things for her and with her that we just take forward with her but yeah it has changed our landscape we relocated 500 miles to Cornwall we lived in Bury St Edmunds beforehand which is over in East Anglia way so we we made that decision because you really learn how short and precious life is. I wanted to give my children the life that I thought would help them to flourish, which is the outdoor life, the surfer life, the beaches was amazing. We went on holiday and I was just like, this place is going to help me heal. The vision was to have an online business before we met, but because of where we was, I was just like, I can't even begin to put the energy into that at the moment I don't have the headspace so we shut down my partner's business and because I'm a trained occupational therapist so I found a job so that we could move across and had a bit of money for that year and we just went for it we're just like money you need money to live but it's not the be all and end all you realize how much time and energy you can waste by doing jobs just to buy these things for yourself <laughs> that don't actually bring you happiness. It's just a, an illusion, a status that you just, it just falls apart when you've been through something like that. It's like my children are the world for me. Spending as much time with them while they're little as long as we're happy, if I'm in poverty, I, I'm willing to go with that. Give me a bucket and a spade or woods and bring me back to the real, like, wholesome stuff. Just being together, alleviate all the pressure and the stress that we put in, put on ourselves to meet these kind of benchmarks that are put there by society and other people. It, it crushes them all. So we did that. We came over to Cornwall. So that, again, changed our landscape. My daughter was in um, private school, a Montessori's private school, and it was the theory that all of them would have gone through that. But we were just, I was just like, no, it's not so important anymore to us. So, yeah, completely changes everything. Wow. So <laughs> now that your your children are one a teenager and the other two tweenies oh, no. as I what... call it <laughs> your life looks completely different in Cornwall than it would have yeah. done it's hard to know isn't it because there's no yeah. way to kind of go back and do it the other way but how do you think it's impacted on them that change to and your change in attitude about what's important I think hopefully for us the message that I always get across to them is that follow what makes you happy follow what makes you happy and makes you healthy always your guiding star follow what's making you happy and healthy so we've demonstrated that to them we've demonstrated that it's okay to 
move away from things that no longer serve you. And that lifestyle wasn't serving us. We needed to be in a place where we had the time to heal. We needed to be in a place where we could really come back together as a family and just be in our own bubble and just go out and just do those things that were going to give us love to our soul. And for us, that was being on the beach. That was making sandcastles. It was spending as much time in the sea that we could be. It was spending time in the woods. It was just everything out in nature for us. Nature healed us. Cornwall healed us to a certain degree. And for our children, it was like, yeah, just follow that. And what serves you now may not be what serves you six months down the line, but really just listen to yourself. It always, honestly, it always comes back to listening to yourself, looking at your belief system and your programming and what's causing you pain and what's your driving motivator. And that's always going to be your guiding star. And the way that it shows up is the energy, the way that it makes you feel in your body you've got to quiet and the noise to be able to hear that because like after Chloe died I was numb for a year didn't feel it my body our body is amazing and it did that to protect me so I could carry on going to look after my young ones so I'm thankful for that but it took a while for me to reconnect in with my body yeah like I said the things that we achieved for the independent school we ended up bringing my children out of mainstream school for two years to home educate and we had again another amazing journey because we could see that school was taking away their sparkle and their shine my eldest is just we brought her out for a year when she transitioned into high school for her mental well-being I'm like you don't have to follow what everybody else is doing and it doesn't have to be permanent either you just do it for the time that works right for you and don't judge anybody else for what they're doing because they're doing what works right for them. And it's always going to be unique because you're unique. So the kind of intervention is going to be unique for you. But don't ever be afraid and don't ever hold on to things that aren't serving you because you think it's what you should be doing. Should, yeah, that word. I'm sure there's a lot of parents who have considered homeschooling or who like the idea as a concept, but who feel that it's quite daunting. What would you say to that? What has been your experience? Go for it. Your children are only young ones. It was the, it was amazing. I loved it so much. It was the best thing. We had the best time. You are going to, if you go on that journey, the biggest thing you're going to do is have to blow away the perception of school because home education isn't the same as homeschooling. They're they're completely two different things. And we home educated because I believe learning, we learn better through doing and experiencing. This kind of sitting at the table wasn't for us. So we was out at clubs with other home eds. We would have like field trips forest school home ed karate and home ed science it was just amazing tiring exhausting but the best fun and my children were so happy for it but what you learn about yourself as a parent is is again it's that thing about am I doing enough are they going to be okay are they going to fit back into school if they need to go back are we really doing the right thing But you learn so much about your own beliefs about school and things. And I just let it all go out the window come the end of it. It's just, I don't care anymore. 
because at the end of the day I'm dyslexic and if you compared me to mainstream I failed my GCSEs but I still went to university because there's other ways in so for me it just like it doesn't matter it comes back to happiness again my children were happy my daughter we bought her out for a year and all of their friends were like oh but your GCSEs you're going to be behind and she's not not at all and you learn like she did a whole week's worth of education in one five-hour stint so then she had that whole week to invest in things that she loved to do a week's worth of education what tell me a bit more about that well say for example if you look at what she was doing in school so so say maths English science and what have you for the school to get that information across for and for her to work through that in the school setting it was taking her a week like the the time nine till three at school five days a week 38 weeks of the year but she would manage to do work through the curriculum learn the same stuff in the day and the same was true with when my kids when my little ones I would teach the three of them and we would spend 40 minutes on learning a day the rest of the time so it would be when they were right little it was just practicing a little bit of of phonic work but I didn't do phonics it was just like this is a this is b and this is what have you practicing a little bit of maths which would be like counting things with twigs or wherever we was and then maybe bringing a bit of science which could be oh look at the sun look at the wind look at what have you you'll find your ways and just cooking you just bring that in as you want but again it's only about half an hour to 40 minutes that you actually need to spend on it and it's insane when I was looking at my values that had come in was like my values was on time is precious spend it doing the things that you wanted to do and follow your heart and school completely was not in alignment again with those my children were miserable because most of the time they were being told to sit still well we know children need to move they're being told to be quiet they're being told that if they couldn't sit still and stay in queues to line up for the things and the activities that they need to do that they weren't that great which was making them not feel so great about themselves and I was also telling them and it was also out of alignment with time is precious use it how you was because they were having to meet other people's needs and demands and what have you so I'm just like this is just insane it really just just didn't seem right to me so I just bought them out and it is it's just like but we realized I learned so much about myself in the sense of how much pressure I would put at myself on the early days of not doing five hours of education in in that kind of sense that then you realize how little they actually do of actually educating because a lot of it is personal care managing behavior getting them to sit still so they can do the thing and (laughs) managing everybody else but when they've got even though I had the three when they when it's like one to three you can really bring it down and really just go this is all we need to do keep being consistent and and you get there and then it also turned my kind of perception on its head because like we realize how much we believe that we need to teach our children stuff but we actually don't my son taught himself to tell the time reading playing games on the computers and what have you they've managed to teach themselves 
And it's just insane how much we you learn about things and how much you can just alleviate the pressure. So then all of the pressure that was like, get them out of, get them out of the house in the mornings and all of this, all of that was gone and it just completely transformed them and their sparkle and shine was there too. So home ed, I would definitely recommend it. It's a journey, but it's very much doable. So it's a big question, but what do you think that you've learned in your parenting journey so far? The biggest thing I've learned is it's a journey of awakening and really learning about yourself, learning about where your past traumas, where your past hurts are, where your programming's come in. And it's a constant time of just coming back to you and stripping away all of the stuff that needs to be stripped away so that you can shine brightly so that your children can then shine on brightly too. Because like I said, I believe that each of us have it within us when we can quieten down the noise. I believe that we have been brought our children because we are the right person for them. And we have everything we need within ourselves. We're just conditioned and programmed to believe that we don't for whatever reasons. But we do. I really do believe that. And just to make sure that you make time each day, even if it's for five minutes to sit with your eyes closed. Breathe in and breathe out and see what comes up for you. And then in those again, in those moments when it's going chaotic, maybe you can't do it in the moment. But afterwards, just ask yourself, what did I need in that moment? What am I needing now to move forward? What are my lessons? Just keep asking those questions and it'll all just fall away. Ask yourself what's important. What are my values now? What stage are we at now? Do I need to be putting this pressure on me now? The hardest thing I find is you go to the shops and there's all these parents really like stressed out because their children are touching all these lovely lights. I'm like, why did you bring them to the shops? I know sometimes it's like you have to. I know myself that I've definitely put myself in situations that I didn't have to. So it's always that thing of, do I need to do it now? Is there a better time? And it's interesting because my kids are still very small. So that must really change for you as you move through the stages, as you move through, like you say, when they go into whatever education system or as they start to become teenagers, that's another kind of leap I would imagine massive (laughs) especially if you're a control freak (laughs) just like you have to give it all over to them and it's just like I'm not ready to give that over to you yet and I want to know if something comes up that I'm there to step in and deal with it because that's what I've been doing for the last however many years and that's what pairing is all about it also brings up your own inner teenager sometimes I'm like right I'm walking away now because I've got to bring myself back into myself before my 16 year old self like goes completely off the scale (laughs) it's just so funny like you say it's been a real journey of again a whole new level of finding myself my son has just started going down to the local skate park and we're very blessed where we live we live in Cornwall it's very very safe there but there are still things that have come up with other children and what have you and I'm it just breaks my heart in one way because the other children 
are doing stuff and you're like, what is going on for them? Because there always is stuff going on for them. But at the same time, the real intuitive protectiveness that, uh, that we're meant to have to look after our children that we're having to negotiate through because um, there was two children decided to pick on my son. My son is really quite tall for a child of his age. Um, and two of them, luckily he was, because the two of them decided to kind of bundle him, but he just grabbed hold of them both and like, are we going to stop now? And they were like, yeah, okay, because they realised they weren't getting anywhere. But then he'd come home, he's like, mum, I don't understand why they were being mean to me or what it was all about. But luckily we knew the parents, so we spoke to them. But it it brings you into the journey that we went on through that. It's like, well, what do we do? This is our first time negotiating this. And when it initially came to us, it triggers up. For me, it was like, right, I want to go and tell them. Don't hurt my child. I wanted to be there to protect them. So all of that was coming up. But then you have to, again, like I say, bring yourself back to yourself. What is the outcome you want? We want to stay connected with our son so he knows that he can come home and speak to us, that we're not going to react. We are going to take time to process it. But we want him to know that whatever's going on for him, that we're going to support him and stand up for him. So we negotiated our way through it by reaching out to the parents. They went and spoke with their child and the boys have become good friends. That then opened up an opportunity for his parents to help guide him through that situation as well. And then it opened up the opportunity for us to say to our son, we'll always come back to us. What will you do again if you see something like that happen? What are your support networks that you've got around? So it's really, it's always coming back to you and just going, okay, what do I need to address within me first so that I can always be open to negotiating through this in the best possible way? And you're not always going to get it right. There are going to be surprises that come up that you have to adjust what you're doing at times, but it's just always knowing that, you are coming from that place of love and that's all we can ever do so that you can stand there and look at yourself in the mirror and go yeah I got it wrong but it was really from here there was no malicious there was none of this so that you can feel good about yourself as best you can through this journey do you find that you're able to give yourself grace when you do get it wrong um sometimes it's easier than others but again if I'm not able to give myself grace that's an indication to me that self-care needs to ramp up because I know that one of my signs that if I'm not able to give myself grace I'm not filling my cup enough and that I need to address that so it's knowing yourself enough what your signs are that you can always give yourself what you need because if I'm not if I don't listen to that cue, then we're going to start going down even further. So yeah, know what your key points are. So you, when they come up, you can go, okay, I need to do this. I need to do this. Just the same as we would our children. First things you ask, are you hungry? Are you tired? Do you need something? First things you go back to, and it's the same for yourself, really. Yeah, we don't often think of it like that, do we? No, but it is, yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> What would you celebrate about yourself as a parent? Something that we don't always get asked as much as uh, how we get it wrong. <laughs> um, I think just my 
ability really to acknowledge that I'm not perfect but I'm open to learn that's probably what I would celebrate myself for is that I'm not perfect but I will always try my best and I'm always willing to listen and open to learn and what is your (coughs) parenting takeaway what do you wish someone had said to you (laughs) just always come back to you and love yourself and be your own best friend I think you've got to become your own best friend your own cheerleader because you are the one ultimately who's leading yourself through this journey and you can have the best support network ever but you're the one who's got to be guiding the ship amy thank you so much for being on not a perfect parent i've so appreciated your honesty and all of your amazing wisdom thank you oh you are so welcome and thank you for inviting me it's been beautiful Thank you for joining us for this episode of Not A Perfect Parent. Come back again next week for the extraordinary wisdom of another ordinary parent. And if you've got a story to share and don't we all, get in touch.